Listening to Detroit Today, I'm Jake Neer. I'm sitting in for host Stephen Henderson today. He's on vacation. NPR host Robert Siegel retires this week after 30 years hosting All Things Considered. Siegel signs off on Friday, ending a storied career that saw him cover some of the most historic events in modern U.S. history. He was in Manhattan during 9-11, he covered the fall of the Berlin Wall, and he logged countless interviews that brought into focus some of the most pressing issues of the day, as well as compelling human stories that intimately connected listeners with their subjects. I recently spoke with Robert Siegel about his career and his retirement. Here's that conversation. Robert Siegel, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Jake. Thanks for inviting me. So I'll admit, and forgive me for this, but this is a Mm -hmm. bit surreal for me as a 30-year-old guy who caught the public radio bug at a relatively young age. I think your voice and public radio feel in some ways synonymous with each other. And uh, I think like many of our listeners, I'm sure I'm heartbroken to hear we won't hear you every day on All Things Considered. But uh, I want to congratulate you on your retirement and on a tremendous career. Well, thank you very much. It's very kind of you. Uh, When you were you one of the ones who was strapped into the car seat in the back of the car? With the, the, <laughs> probably, right ne- probably. Right next to the speaker, we're bombarding your head with public radio programs. <laughs> you... And and now I, I have a two-year-old uh, who I do the same thing with. And don't take this as a judgment of, of the work because yeah. it's not. But uh, it does it does uh, get him to go down for a nap pretty easily. So There you are. Well, that's our, <laughs> that is our scheme for developing young audiences. There you it's go. Been, it's been working for a while, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I want to talk about the moment that you're leaving here. Media and journalism, we face new and unique challenges, whether those challenges are financial, competitive, or existential. Um, You you are a trusted voice in this era of fake news. And it's something that I think a lot of media watchers feel we need, especially right now, is those trusted voices. Does that give you any pause or how does that reflect on your decision to leave at this moment in time? Well, it, I mean, it's it's uh, it's very flattering. Uh, it doesn't it doesn't affect uh, my decision about retiring at this at this time uh, that much. And I um, I think I work with other people who are trusted voices, and maybe they haven't been around for you know for decades and decades. But uh, uh, I th- I think that the trust that people feel in us is as much, no matter how what they may feel they're trusting, it's as much institutional as it is individual. And it's, uh, uh, I, I think that NPR will remain very, very uh, trustworthy and trusted to lots of people. As for these days, um, it's a peculiar time uh, to be working in, in uh, journalism with uh, people being accused of doing fake news. Mm-hmm. And um, it's... Uh, on the, on the other hand, the era when I became inspired to do this and when I first started working locally in New York was the era of Richard Nixon, as it turned out. And uh, uh, he not only said nasty things about the media, he did things. I mean, he, you know, he had my, he wasn't yet my, my friend and colleague as he was to become, but he had Daniel Shore investigated by the FBI. Uh, he had an enemies list that included journalists on it. He... Uh, he um, did damage uh, institutionally to public television, uh, which, uh, in some respects, PBS never recovered from. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so, uh, so far, so far, <laughs> this is uh, this is unprecedented. The 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 kind of uh, vitriol uh, against the media. But to be fair, 
there's also vitriol against any number of other institutions and individuals. Yeah, this uh, is something that so, crosses all American institutions right now, or at yeah. least many of them, correct? Yeah, I mean, it's it's about, uh, well, it's certainly about the democratic uh, political opposition. It used to be about, uh, uh, when President Trump was a candidate, it was about other Republicans. It's about uh, foreign countries. I mean, there's there's a lot of... Uh, a, a, a lot of negative uh, vituperation uh, coming out of those tweets. But so far, I have to say, uh, I, I don't think that the damage that's been done to the media uh, compares with the Nixon days. One of the things that's interesting about your retirement now, I would I would say, is that it, what it sort of represents more broadly. I mean, we're now, I would say, two generations removed from the what many people consider to be the golden age of broadcast journalism, Murrow and Cronkite, and and the people that followed them. Um, and and what do you what are your thoughts on sort of this next generation of broadcasters that are coming into the world of broadcast journalism now at this this sort of crossroads that we face at this moment. Well, I think first that the challenges uh, that that they face are uh, uh, there. First, there are there are a great many of them at the local level, uh, because when when uh, in, in the days of Murrow and and uh, Cronkite, these were national voices, but at the same time there was a very strong. A network of of uh, local and competitive newspapers all around the country, uh, more so than local television newsrooms. I, I think uh, the newspapers were were doing the most basic and important work of journalism, keeping the the sheriff and and the mayor honest, and the and uh, and watching what the school board did. And a lot of local newspapers have just fallen apart mm-hmm. uh, over these years. They've they've really uh, taken a terrible hit. And quite often, the local public radio station uh, is a newsroom. It doesn't have as many people as a local newspaper would, would typically have had. But I think that that um, the place where we could have the greatest damage, if there aren't people reporting all the time, and if there aren't people uh, keeping uh, uh, officials honest, is at the local level. So that's that's the number one thing I feel right now. Mm. Um, and uh, I also think that when I went into public radio. I felt there was a real lack of broadcasting that assumed a, a degree of curiosity and literacy uh, on the part of the of, of the uh, listener. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean that we're talking to people with PhDs, but it, it means that we're talking to people who who uh, might uh, care about things other than the Kardashians and and might uh, uh, might have interests in matters beyond our own borders. Um, and uh, I feel today that if you if you do have a PhD, you're terrifically well served. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you go on the internet today, and you can find umpteen really literate, uh, complicated essays that have been written about whatever question you have in mind. And it's the the broader challenge to a a less educated, less curious uh, mass population, uh, where I think um, I, I think the the journalism. Uh, can get pretty shabby these days. Mm. And uh, and I think there's some real need for work there. I want to talk to you a little bit about what other people have termed sort of writing the first draft of history. I know that you have been reflecting a lot on your career. The last few days, you've been talking a lot of being in Manhattan during 9-11, the fall of the Berlin Wall, and, and these sorts of things where really you can feel the history being made. You can, uh, you know, sort of 
uh, be in that position to sort of write that first draft of history. Of course, I, I think that there's also the the role that we also play on in, in personal lives and, and mm-hmm. getting those emotional interviews and, and really d- digging deep into a personal experience or even just getting the audience to laugh. Uh, you know, those are also important pieces mm-hmm. of American society that we as journalists, you know, get the opportunity to be part of. Um, can you reflect a little bit on all of the different kinds of things that you get to do and uh, and, and and sort of also the responsibility that comes with that? Well, I mean, years ago when I had first come here, the, the, the um, formulation that I had was that All Things Considered, which was then our only big daily program, was both more serious and more frivolous than com- competing programs, that uh, the challenge was to have a... A, a breadth of subject matter and experience and tone uh, that you would hear on the program. I edited the program, and I felt that I uh, contributed to its uh, baseline, its uh, its driving rhythm, and to its grace notes, uh, little things we would do to, to make the program stand out a bit more. But most of it in the middle was done by, it wouldn't matter who was editing, it was done by a talented staff and, and the, uh, the extremely talented uh, Susan Stamberg. And I, I think that breadth is is something that actually uh, used to be part of of a newspaper. That is, uh, a, a newspaper wasn't just the front page; it was also the funnies. It was also the you know a puzzle. It was uh, uh, it. Of course, there were things that we don't even count on anymore. It was the TV listings. It was the weather. It was whatever. And um, and broadcasting somewhere along the line had winnowed all this down to just the front page, at least in that, in national journalism, was ju- just the front page, uh, the equivalent of it on the air. And I think it's very important for us to uh, get beyond that and to, mm. to, um, to kind of be a place where people can share in the experiences of others, whether those are experiences of uh, newsworthy, terrible things or just uh, uh, interesting moments in life. So I've seen uh, enough hardworking people retire to know that people like you typically typically don't yeah. really retire. <laughs> What's the next chapter for you at this point? The, the, no, the next chapter as of right now is completely unwritten. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I have very little on my calendar <laughs> for the weeks uh, and months after, uh, after Friday. And I'm at the moment uh, looking forward to just relishing what it's, what it's like to live without deadlines, assignments, uh, and... Um, an office to report to. Mm. It's been many, many, many years since I've had that feeling, and I'm looking forward to it. Robert Siegel, thank you so much for joining us today on Detroit Today. Jake, it's my pleasure. And uh, I'd also just like to thank people at WDET and people who support WDET because uh, by doing so, in this uh, unique system of ours, they also support us at NPR. So, So thanks to everybody. That was my conversation with the host of NPR's All Things Considered, Robert Siegel, who signs off for the last time this Friday. You can hear All Things Considered here on WDET weekdays from 4 to 7 p.m. If you missed any of today's show, you can hear it and all other past editions of Detroit Today on the Detroit Today podcast. Download and subscribe on iTunes or wherever podcasts are available. I'm Jake Neer sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. Thanks so much for listening. This is WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. Detroit Today is produced by Laura Weber Davis. Our program director is Joan Isabella. Technical director and engineer is Matthew Trevethan. Associate producers Aaron Allen, Gus Navarro, Ziad Butch. 
and Detroit Today's theme song was composed by WDET's Sam Bobian. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Hopefully you will be too.